It's showtime, folks! Hola, this is Shelly Martinez. This is former WWE superstar Luke Gallows. Here's your boy Shaq Gaffney. This is the Wolf Warrior Low Key. This is Terry Sultan of Ring of Honor. This is Christopher Daniels. And the gospel according to the Fallen Angels says that you are listening to the SNS Radio Network. Hey, yo. Say hello to the bad guy. Scott Hall. Big Daddy Cool Diesel slash Kevin Nash on the SNS Radio Network. Hey, what's up? It's the LDB One Dirty Pit Boom! Uh, this is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion, and you're listening to SNS Radio Network. Hi, gang. This is Mean Gene Okerlund from the WWE. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. And you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. Oh, it's real. It's damn real. The world is listening. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am. And that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. I grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that. They're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me. And the fact that day in and day out, for almost six years, I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. 
not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be, and trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th, and hell, who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's going to make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing, nonsensical yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's going to tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead. But the fact is, it's, it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. This is the main event. What you gonna do? It's just a man. Tyson, Tyson, Tyson. Then there is, best there was, and the best there ever will be. Woo. You can call this the new world order of wrestling because Stone Cold said so. Oh my God! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Mordorash. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? You think you know me? Oh, you didn't know? Yeah, I come here to fight. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome, fans. As we take you back in time and relive the greatest and worst in the world of professional wrestling. We go old school and relive classic moments here on the SNS Radio Network. So buckle up fans and get ready to go beyond the bell. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman with a spectacular show for you fans here this week. As we look back in spirit or in tribute to CM Punk's phenomenal promo two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, we provide our holy shoot edition of Beyond the Bell. Holy shoot, you may ask, what's that? The most shocking shoot moments in the world of professional wrestling. A shoot in professional wrestling is a term that refers to any unplanned, unscripted, or real-life occurrence within a wrestling event. The name originates from a takedown or a shoot in wrestling. This term has come to mean a legit attack or fight in pro wrestling and its meaning has broadened to include unscripted events in general as well the opposite of a shoot is a work we'll also look back at work shoots in sports entertainment as well professional wrestling is scripted entertainment rather than a sporting spectacle we all know that 
As such, virtually everything in pro wrestling is worked, you can say, or a part of the show. And shoots rarely occur. Shoots in general are against the nature of the business, or nature of the beast, as they say. Similar to an actor ad-libbing or dropping or dropping character during a performance. Performers who shoot during a wrestling event are often punished. You would think. Often by a lower pay or relegation to opening bouts, jobbing out, and even you're fired in some cases. Since it is thought that they cannot be trusted to act in according to the booker's wishes, they let him go. Shoots can also occur when wrestlers stop cooperating in a match. This may occur to teach one of the wrestlers a lesson for whatever reason. Yeah, there's still human beings in the ring flying around risking their lives is what's going on. I mean, if you can't see that, you're very ignorant. I mean, there's, you know, I, I wrestled uh, many matches injured, got injured. Um, you know, it, it, there's a high risk in pro wrestling. I mean, it's that ring is not just, you know, mom's. California king-sized bed with uh, some Baylor twine going around it. I mean, it's, you land, you know, it's, it's a physical ring, you know. These guys are going out, and, and I was one of them, going out and uh, slamming people and, and uh, coming off the top rope and, and doing all these things, and, and I got injured for it, you know. Um, so there, even though, even though it, uh, the outcomes may be uh, predetermined or, you know, even though it is, you know, entertainment, these guys that are going on and putting out the show on the show that night are, you know, they're getting hurt. I mean, not every night, but, I mean, it's, you know, it happens. It happens. It's not a, that ring is not forgiving. I had many people, I own my own ring, and I've had uh, many people in the ring, and, oh, give me a body slam, okay? <laughs> and I body slam them, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm never doing that again. You know, they're like, that thing is hard. What'd you do to this thing? I'm like, that's what I worked on five nights a week. <laughs> that same thing, you know, that same feeling, you know. When me and Kurt, when me and Kurt Angle got in the, in the, in the squared circle together, there was a lot of real things going on in there. Um, we pushed each other to the limit every time, and that's one of those guys that I felt like, you know, that me and him could go out and, and uh, not only tear the house down, but execute uh, things and, and make them. And they were very real <laughs> some nights. So they were very real. You know, one night I, I threw Kurt into, Kurt had neck problems way back, but I, I threw Kurt into the turnbuckle and, and came in and, and hit him very hard. And, and I believe uh, actually that was where his first refracture uh, in the wrestling business came from me uh, was, I broke his neck that night, you know, and uh, yes, <clears throat> I wasn't the first one to break his neck. I mean, he initially did, but so it, it was kind of a hard, you know, me and Kurt went at it, you know, he hit me hard and I hit him back harder <laughs> some nights. While the term technically applies to only wrestling performers, crowds also cause shoots by interfering in events usually by assaulting a wrestler. For example, if a wrestler was standing at ringside, some of the spectators will throw objects at him or her. An example of this was a fan involved. Uh, remember the Mike Awesome matchup where 
there was a fight. A fan punched Mike Awesome during a crowd brawl in, at a WCW event, causing both of them, him and his opponent for the night, to attack the fan. And that was Vampiro. It was Awesome versus Vampiro. Fans started attacking Awesome in the crowd. I remember that. That was a, a crazy moment. Another was a fan's attempt to attack Hulk Hogan shortly after his heel turn in 96 only to be stopped by Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and WCW security right there is known for free reign to go after anybody that steps their foot into the ring. That's not a performer in 2002 during a ladder match in world wrestling federation, a fan pushed over a ladder that Eddie Guerrero was actually standing on Guerrero landed on his on his feet safely, which was good. But as the referee grabbed the fan to remove him from the ring, Guerrero landed a punch right on the fan, kicked him as the ref dragged him into the uh, dragged him to the ground. Guerrero, Guerrero knocked him out. He gave him one one nice punch and kick. Security then stepped in and removed the offending fan. That was another case. In 2008, during June, a June 2nd episode of Monday Night Raw, June 2nd's a good date, a fan jumped the security barricade and entered the ring during the main event between John Cena and Jeff Hardy, causing Cena to break his submission hold on Hardy and both watched security take the fan out as they were both laughing. But it's not really, it's not funny. It's serious. That's a serious shoot. shoot. A work shoot is a term for any occurrence that is scripted by the creative team to come off as unscripted and therefore appear as though it were a real-life happening event. But in fact, it was still a part of the show. Hence, I believe CM Punk's promo was one of the best work shoots of all time. This can be seen as an example of the writers breaking the fourth wall, even as Punk said, and attempting to court the fans who are interested in shoots. Hence the IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community. And we all know Mr. Vince Russo loves shoot, or should I say the worked shoot promos better than anything. He does it to, he does it ad nauseum, where we get sick of it, hence Impact Wrestling. So I thought tonight we'd take a look back at the most shocking shoot moments in sports entertainment. Holy shoot, Batman. It's an edition of Beyond the Bell. The WWF has asked me to do a commentary on the state of wrestling in 1998. I guess they figure Cornette's always good for a couple of laughs. Well, I'm not really going to be too funny tonight. Because, you see, I think the state of wrestling in 1998 stinks. I think WCW stinks. I think the NWO stinks. I think ECW is embarrassing. And I think the WWF stinks. And I'll tell you why. You don't have to go back any further than last week on Raw. You got a guy coming out dressed like a Christmas tree. You got a woman coming out dressed like a reindeer. You got two adolescent mullet heads showing their butt cheeks on national TV and having a phony match for a championship. I think it stinks. I think it's disgusting. I think nobody has any respect for wrestling anymore. Where is wrestling? Not sports entertainment, but wrestling. You know, just a couple of years ago, I left my home in Tennessee and I moved to Connecticut, which is like trading a Hawaiian vacation for a bed in a cancer ward, to come to work for the WWF full-time, the biggest wrestling promotion in the history of the planet. And I moved to Connecticut with snow on the ground seven months out of the year, real estate prices that would make Donald Trump's hair stand on end, the rudest bunch of people I've ever seen where English is a second language and traffic jams at four o'clock in the morning, but I think that's okay because I'm with the biggest wrestling promotion of all time, the WWF. But over the last couple of years, I don't see any wrestling. 
They got some great wrestlers around here, but they don't have any time to wrestle because of all the falderall and the nonsense going on. You see what the problem is, is the people running the two big promotions, one guy is a game show host wannabe from Minneapolis with phony teeth, phony hair, and a phony tan. And running the WWF, you got a whole office building full of Yankees from New York City that wouldn't know a wrestling match if it bit them. So they sit around all day listening to people on the Internet, and the people on the Internet wouldn't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch. I don't particularly care what some Yankee from New York City wants to see. I want to see wrestling matches with wrestlers. I want to see real old-fashioned wrestling. I want to see some people who have some respect for the tradition of the wrestling industry. Have some respect for the sport of wrestling. I don't want to see sports entertainment and flying donkeys all around. I think it's garbage. I think it's insulting. And I think it's a shame to a fine sport like this. Down south where I come from, they know wrestling. They were brought up on it. They grew up on it. And they respect it. And I think it's about time that the promoters in the wrestling industry today recognize that wrestling fans watching a wrestling program want to see wrestlers wrestle. That's, that's easy. It's not too hard to understand if you just think about it. But the problem is, is that nobody has any respect for tradition. Well, I got news for you. I got respect for tradition, and I've always been associated with real good old-fashioned wrestling, a sport of wrestling, not a circus sideshow, not a cartoon show. And if nobody else is going to bring some wrestling around here, then maybe it's going to be up to Jim Cornette. So that might be my New Year's resolution for 1998. I might bring some tradition. I might bring some real wrestling back and clear this whole mess out because I think it stinks. So there's my address. There's my opinion. There's my commentary. Do with it what you want. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, bah humbug, I'm out of here. Some of the most memorable shoots you could say right off the bat was the MSG incident between, as we all know, the Click, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Kevin Nash, Big Daddy Cool Diesel at the time, and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, all as Diesel and Razor were leaving to go to WCW, all four of them at the end of the main event were in the steel cage all surrounding them. They all celebrated together in the ring in front of the fans, breaking that fourth wall, you could say, and admitting we're all true friends backstage. You know, a no-no that Vince hated and punished Triple H four years later. So that was one of the most memorable or the definition of a shoot moment. Uh, Another one, or you could say the moment that impacted professional wrestling the greatest in the long run was the Montreal Screwjob. That was a shoot in that the agreed-upon plan was secretly switched in order to take the WWF title from Bret Hart. There was no denying Bret was a hero in Canada, which made the situation going into the Survivor Series in the fall of 1997 a sore subject with Bret to this day. Nobody took more pride in this company and the, um, you know, I had so much respect for this company. And I never wanted to leave this company. I could could never ever see working for uh, another organization because I think it would be a step down. You know, as I understand, there's certain wrestling organizations that th- seem to be throwing a lot of money around. Uh, but I'd like to make it very well understood that that I'm not somebody that's greedy for money. I'm always uh, I'm, I'm a person that's greedy for respect. And uh, the only place I'm ever going to get respect is in the World Wrestling Federation. We were very, very close personally and professionally, and I told him that, you know, that I thought the only thing that could ever come between us would be uh, Ted Turner's money. And in a way, that is exactly what happened. I'm not absolving myself of, you know, of, of what I did, okay, but, but that is what happened. 
The whole set of circumstances and ultimately the negotiations with Bret Hart uh, took place in late 1997. Uh, and actually there were two sets of conversations. I think one was a meeting that Brett and I took uh, very discreetly. I believe we were the only two that knew we were meeting. Um, I believe that. Could be wrong. WCW thought that, man, that this is the coup of coups. We're stealing Bret Hart from the uh, WWE. All the while, the whole thing was being orchestrated by Vince McMahon. Both he and I orchestrated his ability to go to WCW. We did that together. I made it clear to Brett that the belt was not a factor and do whatever he needed to do to wrap up business at WWE and, uh, you know, start with a brand new slate in WCW. There was never any any possibility or consideration that I was ever going to show up in WCW with the belt. But I think WWE, they didn't know that. And if we would have had a, if we would have had the kind of relationship where I could have communicated that uh, to WWE executives, I'm sure they wouldn't have believed me. There's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business. And when people throw out this uh, time-honored tradition thing, Bret Hart never refused to do anything ever. All I can say is I followed the traditions of the business and I did what was right. And I stood up for myself. I stood up for all the wrestlers in the dressing room, or at least a strong majority of them. And I stood up for um, for everything that this business is all about, about trust and uh, respect. And uh, I wasn't um, rewarded in kind for the same thing. I think you have to look at it in terms of Brett making decisions and me making decisions under the circumstances that existed then, not under circumstances that exist now. So we, we knew Brett was leaving, and, and the Survivor Series would probably be his last pay-per-view for us. It was about personalities. It was about lack of respect. Survivor Series wasn't about Bret Hart losing in Canada. And God knows I'd lost in Canada enough times in my career, and it uh, wasn't necessarily a factor. All the, all the variables that you love as a broadcaster are there. Big crowd, loud, boisterous, enthusiastic, great, two great rivals in the ring, two artists. You know, you got you got uh, Van Gogh and, and Rembrandt. They're painting, man. They're, they're, they're creating art. This match was a long journey in itself. For 18 months. That's what the man is getting done. And the smart money is, is that you will never, ever see it again. Not something that uh, I ever expected. You know, it's not how I saw my career ending in this company. What is? Look at this! Oh, you're kidding me, Michaels? Are you going to beat Bret Hart with a sharpshooter? Yes, he is. Are you kidding me? It was a very hurtful time for me, and I felt that I, I still do. I think I deserved a little more than that. And I thought it was a little, um, I always believed that it was totally unnecessary. That I was far too um, valuable, too much of a professional, and had given too much. To make Brett lose with a signature move, that's disgusting. That's it, man. <laughs> He's leaving for the WCW, which is unfortunate, but I think they should have found a better way for him to get to get rid of the belt. Unfair. Just bullshit.
A breath the hitman heart. He got cheated. He never got along with Vince McMahon. Oh, Survivor Series was awful. I couldn't believe that the Hearts lost. It's a, it's a conspiracy. Moi, je pense que Bret Hart s'est fait euh, complètement. C'est pas vrai parce que je pense c'est une conspiracy par le, le referee puis Vince McMahon parce que Bret Hart est trop bon pour ça. C'est tout. It's horrible. Bret Hart is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. We will always love you, Bret. Had given too much and dedicated too much, and was too hurtful not just to me but even to my father and my family and. Even Owen. It was a really difficult time to to try to understand that and to not be affected by that is, um, I mean, if you, if anybody ever had to walk in a pair of shoes, I hear people make comments and and judge what happened that day and sort of make their make conclusions as to what who was right and who was wrong or what happened or feel that it was about my ego or it was about my money or it was about Canada or they don't know what they don't know the circumstances in all the years that I was in the business um, I think the disrespect and the insult that was um It didn't just go through me, but it went through um, my father. It affected Owen. It affected so many people. And I've had it suggested to me that what happened between Vince and I in, a, in the dressing room was wasn't right to have that happen, and that it was, and I'm sure it was a very difficult thing for Shane McMahon to. Uh, You know, to witness the whole sort of this breakdown of um, this almost father-son relationship that I had with uh, Vince. You know, it's a shame, but uh, people always need to remember that uh, my kids were in the audience too. And, um, you know, I, um, I always um, stand by what I did. I think there's regret on both of us as far as those decisions or even having to make those decisions and whether or not they would be made that way today in retrospective I don't know there was a lack of communication is what Vince talked to me about and I think that there was a lack of communication I believe I conducted myself in uh, in a respectful way and I did it with integrity and I stand by how I behaved and my I stand by my actions I suppose there's always going to be people who are going to look at it from different sides and it's like one of those things where either on one side of it or you're on the other side of it and uh, either way whatever side you're on you probably don't know the facts behind it and uh, you know for people to second guess and put themselves in Vince's shoes or for people to second guess and put themselves in my shoes you can't do that It's my understanding that um, Vince wouldn't change what he did, and that's fair enough, I suppose. You know, he did what he thought he had to do or felt he had to do, but I would never change anything that I did. And um, my um, position is that, uh, you know, history speaks for itself, and uh, um, I stand by what I did. On June 12, 2005, at the ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view, during a large-scale brawl in the main of, after the main event, JBL 
actually struck the Blue Meaty, knocking him out, who needed 12 stitches to his head. And that, in a rare occurrence, the WWE actually addressed the issue on their regular programming and attempted to work it into a storyline. So that was an occasion that worked a shoot into a storyline. Quite a weekend for you, me. Uh, yes, 14 uh, staples and 15 stitches later, I, I, I made it through my extreme weekend, starting with Hardcore Homecoming, with the uh, wrestled my old uh, my old nemesis Tracy Smothers. I thought then you know end of the night I was like, okay, I, I made it out unscathed. Little did I know later on in the uh, Raven Sandman match, uh, Sandman got me with the chair. <laughs> Uh, threw the chair, yo! Got me in the uh, the part, the the top part, right above the seat area. Got me right in the top of the head. Got me fourteen stitches worth, uh, fourteen staples worth of damage. So I'm hardcore. <laughs> you you were busted up pretty good. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I remember you telling me that you you said, "Can I leave? I I don't think I can stay for the fan fest. I'm I'm bleeding profusely." Yes. <laughs> I have a mere flesh wound on the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, but I, you were you were still in good spirits, but uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, just to be invited back, you know, and and to be remembered as part of, you know, that crew, uh, it was it was great to be back, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So that was uh, it was overall a, a great experience, even though as we see from these pictures here, you were you were uh, heavily bandaged up. Yeah. But, you know, it's not ballet. It ain't ballet. So, an accident's happened, but, uh, you know, it, it was all for, you know, it was all worth it in the end. You know, when the, when the show went off and the, fan, the fans were just rocking and rolling and felt like the old days. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, uh, we get stapled up. You've got another show to get to. Yes. You, uh, have, you have 24 hours to get yourself to, uh, well, a little more than that to get yourself to New York. Yeah. Uh, it, it turned out... Uh, after I realized that when I was getting the staples put in my head, that I twisted my ankle. We also will take you back old school in 1984. When, when filming a segment on pro wrestling, reporter John Stossel made a mention to wrestler Dr. D, David Schultz, where he said wrestling was fake. Yelling, you think this is fake? Schultz assaulted Stossel, slapping him and knocking him to the ground twice. Stossel claimed that he still he he still suffered from pain and buzzing in his ears eight weeks after the assault. Just to be tag team partner of Eddie Mansfield, the wrestler who's just told us how every match is fake. I asked Schultz questions that I assume all wrestlers have been asked dozens of times. What is this a good business? Yeah, it's a good business. I wouldn't be in it if it wasn't. Why is it a good business? Because only the tough survive. That's the reason you ain't in it. And this punk holding the camera, reading he ain't in it. Reading these rednecks out here ain't in it because it's a tough business. That's terrific. What? Is that all you got? I'll ask you the standard question. You know? Standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? You think it's fake? You talk like that? What do you mean? Now Stossel regrets the decision to sue, according to his first book that he wrote. Schultz maintains that he attacked Stossel because the head of WWE wanted him to. Okay, another shoot incident that happened outside the realm of pro wrestling. Now, work shoots. Some of the greatest work shoots, you could say, were in WCW because 
they happen so frequently, you're bound to hit one out of the park. The idea of the work shoot reached its peak and was popular. It was it was made popular in the final days of World Championship Wrestling. By then, Vince Russo was doing nothing but shoot promos or work shoots. You know, and he believed that with the internet catching on in popularity, people and wrestling fans were becoming increasingly aware of of the scripted aspect of wrestling, even so far as to learn insider terms such as booker, kayfabe, stuff that you that you didn't hear during a regular broadcast. And it w- it was it got to the extreme so to try to stay relevant, Russo started writing work shoots, events or promos that seemed to be real and unplanned when when in reality they were still part of the show. A perfect example of that was Hulk Hogan or Jeff Jarrett laying down for Hulk Hogan um, at Bash at the Beach and Hogan saying, is this your deal, Russo, if you remember that part? Another moment that was unplanned, shocking, surprising, but it was still a work. He's got to step into the ring with Hollywood Hogan. Or is that Jeff Jarrett who knows something that Hollywood Hogan doesn't? Good questions on both ends there. Whatever it is, scared, confident, it's a pretty darn good move to stay out, let Hogan have center stage, so to speak, let Hogan get it all out, all this animosity. We go back, though, a few weeks ago, the power, the jackhammer that was by Goldberg on the back of Hogan through the table, wondering if Hogan could even come back. We have not seen Hogan since that time. We all knew, Scott, I knew, you knew, as much as you won't admit, Madden, you knew that Hogan wouldn't make it back here to Bash of the Beach. No, no, I, I knew he'd never, ever miss a big pay-per-view payday. What's That's Jeff doing? Wait a minute. What's Jeff doing? Is it Halloween Havoc all over again? Russo's Wait a minute, Russo. Russo, I think, told Jared to lie down. What's going on? Look at... Russo is holding the belt up like, do you want the belt? Pin the man. Jarrett's down. I don't know. And Hogan is as shocked as what we are. What in the world? Jeff Jarrett. This can't be Jeff Jarrett, a man that grew up in this sport. Well, the, is there, what is going on? They just threw the little title into Hogan. The Hogan. What the hell? Now, Russo. This is, I think we're deviating from the, from the norm here. Deviating from the script. I hesitate to say that, but what the hell is going on? I don't think Hogan had any idea what was going on. Yeah, Hogan. Ben, I don't. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know if Hulk Hogan. Hogan has asked for another microphone. I think he wants to talk again. So fans, uh, we apologize. Russo, what a what a return. Is this your deal, Russo? Wow. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. God, this is real life. One, two, three. We've got a new world champion. I, I guess we do. Good God Almighty, are we going to have some splendid to do tomorrow? Look at, look at Hogan's face. Look at Jeff Jarrett just turned his back on Hulk Hogan and walked out. This Russo is gone. Hulk Hogan is the world champion, and this sport has never seen anything like Hogan was in. He was out. Uh, it, was a, it was a real unique thing. The Bash at the Beach experience took place, which was a complete disaster on all parts. 
Um, the, the whole company was in disarray, and it was the system once again. You can't point your finger at any one individual because leadership starts at the top and stops at the top. And if there is no leadership, there's no way. You can't push a company forward. You've got to lead by example. Hogan, Jeff, that match went on. And uh, Hogan was presented the title. And he walked away with the title. Prince Russo gave a real touching, uh, heartfelt speech. You know, everybody really, really uh, was really off into it. And uh, they brought out another belt, brought the old belt out. Ric Flair wore with the big bend in the top of it, which was a, a tradition for me. And uh, Jeff came out, and we just went out in the middle of that ring, and for about 20, 25 minutes, we just wrestled. And it was uh, probably the uh, best night of my life, you know. And it was all because of Jeff, because um, Jeff is a true professional. I think if it was anyone else in that position that night, um, perhaps I never would have became champion, ever. Whenever you knew all the answers, this man knew to change the questions. The hot rod, Roddy Piper, was the definition of a shoot performer and a shoot promo artist. You look great. This is the new millennium, and my name now is Roddy, Roddy Piper. I've asked the NWA, nobody knew I was coming. I asked them to come down. Let me speak for a second, because there's something going on, man. You got a guy named Vince Russo. I saw Vince Russo. I've been watching the pay-per-view, because right here in the NWA is the last place that Russo has not killed. what kind of guy Russo was. When Russo came about, he was just a little kind of hump of thing. And as he grew up, he grew up into a 300-pound hump of thing. When he used to sit down on the toilet, his obliques would drag on the ground. As he watched professional wrestling and dreamed to become a wrestler, but he couldn't. He failed. He tried. So he decided to make it sports entertainment. And you've got all the things, Russo, that you want, except what? Talent. You have no talent. He came here, he was all in white. That's a that's called a wolf in sheep's clothing. There are men back there, young men that dare to dream, that have a future. And this guy will deliberately kill these boys' dreams. And I heard him say, I beg someone to come and challenge me. Your dream has come true. Yeah, it might be a nightmare. scared boy. I wrote a book. The book was just about a kid that dared to dream. That's all it was about. A kid that because of professional wrestling, 
He fell into by accident, and it gave him his dream. His dream is very simple. I'm not here to, I'm not here to make a big uh, interview statement. I'm here to be real. And if you want to shoot Russo, I'll shoot. Okay. That was my dream. My dream was to have a family. God gave me my dream. I am so proud of that. Vince Russo said he is the antichrist of professional wrestling. Russo, don't give yourself so much credit. You are simply the Ben Lawton of professional wrestling. You are a coward. You are a coward that comes and sneaks in by night. I've got a question for you fans. The ones at home you here with children, for two years, Russo wrote all kinds of things for the WWF. I have this question. Hey, Russo, did you write in my cousin Owen's death? Did you write home? Did you ask about his family? He's dead. He was my cousin. He's dead. Why? Because someone like you, who knows nothing about the technicalities, put somebody 90 feet up. Why? There's no consequences to pay for you. And you know what? Everybody pays the piper, man. You piece of garbage. You piece of garbage, Russo. I tell you what. I may be on a step every once in a while, but I ain't forgot how to dance. On the back of my shirt is ten men that have died giving our hearts to a sport that gave my life. I wear this black band because if we do not stop Russo, he will kill professional wrestling for every one of you. Unless, unless your idea of a good time is having a 320 pound Samoan in the phone sitting on your face. Not for me! You don't have that kind of money! A professional wrestler, one with pride, one that knows the entertainment value is in the ring wrestling so you and your kids can sit down and enjoy it. When Russo was in the WCW, here it is, face-to-face confrontation. I want to ask you some questions here, champ. Did you kill Owen Hood? I want to ask you some questions, champ. How do you take over the WCW $67 million to the good and get $80 million to the bad? How did you do that? That's genius. That's pure genius. Don't have an answer for that one? Yeah, I got an answer for that one. You're gonna give me the microphone? No, no. Please no. in my face like a moron. No, 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 no. This is what I'm gonna do. I'll 
hold it, and I'll cry if you tell me. But you have to explain to me what is it you are trying to accomplish. You let me hold that microphone and I'll talk. Otherwise, sure, absolutely, I will. <laughs> How do you like being played with? Hang on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? The thing is this, man. He says the act is over. He used to call me a dinosaur. Myself, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan. You're not a pimple on Hogan's ass, man. I sent you a tape of how to turn the WCW around, but no, you have this great concept that we're not athletes, we're just entertainers and you're going to make an entertainment show of it. Well, what you made is simply soft pornography, that's all you've done. What you're doing is you're killing my kids back there. Young men that are coming up, I agree with you on one thing. Yes, my time is over. But you know what? You're the dinosaur now, man. You're the one that needs to go bye-bye. Oh, yes, the Hot Rod's venom definitely was on display for Mr. Vince Russo. But he also had his A-game for Eric Bischoff. My name is Rowdy Roddy Piper, and I am the president of the WCW. Period. And if you want to fly, you got to be a Hawkeye. <laughs> that's, that's true. I've been listening to Flair. Flair has gone way over the edge, baby. I got 10 reasons why Ric Flair shouldn't be able to run a gas station, let alone run the WCW. Number one reason, he's broke. He don't have a dime. If he can't run his own finances, how's he gonna run a billion dollar company? Number two, now this is something I've never told anybody. Fifteen years ago, in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm sitting in a bar at the Hilton. I'm sipping on some skim milk. In comes Ric Flair in drag. It's a true story. Get out of here. In drag with a Dolly Parton wig on, big bazoombos. He comes in and he starts dancing all night, dancing a little longer, dance all night, dance a little stronger. That's where he got that from. But he didn't tell you who he was dancing with. With the schnoz on him, they thought he was Barbara Streisand. So what you're saying, he's had a history of being somewhat unbalanced? Unbalanced? Number three, he's got that Charles stalking RuPaul. Figure that one out. I don't make them up, I just read them. I know. I'm sure you didn't make that one up. I don't, hey. What's he got with In the office, number four, when he was in the office, Oval Office, they asked him about the Y2K problem. He says, that's no problem. Charles has got two tubes of jelly in his bag. Not KY, Y2K. Tell you what, you'll set your teeth out and put them on a dresser in a glass jar with that kind of talk. There's more. I can't remember nothing no more, man. I've had so many fights. He was at a press conference. They asked him about the Phantom Menace. He thought they were talking about Hillary Clinton. 
Phantom Menace. I don't make them up. I know you made them. Nah. They hear a commotion in his office. He's in the Oval Office. I don't know what it is about Rick. They open the door. He's naked. He's chasing himself around the desk. What what if he had caught himself? What was he going to do? I have no idea. Reality check. You're just reading these now, am I correct? I'm just reading them. I'm just reading them. I am the president of the commission. He's also Dennis Rodman's best friend. He's also his marriage counselor. He's also his sports advisor. Great job there, Rick. Guys out of a job, out of a wife. Yeah. Or Dennis Rodman. He did all of that. I put him in the nut house. In the nut house, he meets Dr. Kevorkian. Ten minutes with Kevorkian. Kevorkian's going like this, trying to put the ID in his own arm. We can stand Flair for ten minutes. This does not bode well for Flair. Number nine, Space Martin has been dead for 15 years. He thinks Viagra is the world's biggest waterfalls. I talked to one of his dates long ago. She said, I would rather be naked on an anthill than have to go to Ric Flair's room for an hour and listen to him talk about his world championships. That's what he did in the room? That's what he does in the room. To himself. What's that? Number 10, the Nitro girls tell me he's gone from the 60-minute man to the 60-second scam. Get out of here. Get out of here. You're just reading them. I'm just reading them. Now I'm going to quit reading and do some reality checking. I've been listening and talking to a guy named Eric Bischoff. Too much. Guy's got it right there. Too much, he says. Well, then, let's find out. He's telling me all kinds of things. Let's bring Bischoff out. Have him tell me in front of everybody. All right, uh, Tony Bobby. Roddy Piper has called for the presence of Eric Bischoff out here. Please, would the executive of the WCW, Mr. Eric Bischoff, enter the arena? Probably is going to be very tough for some of these fans, not necessarily forgiving people, but they recall what this man has done in the past, Roddy Piper. Well, let's give them a chance to get in here because I like to insult them to their face. <laughs> All right. Fans still, by the way, holding a very prominent executive position with World Championship Wrestling. Mr. Piper, you wanted to confront him face-to-face. -face. You've got him tonight here on Nitro. Mr. Bischoff, three years I've been putting up with you. Oh, you don't know how many nights I wanted to knock your teeth down, grab you by your family pride, and drag you around the arena until there was nothing left of you. You invented the red and black. You invented the, 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 what is it? The black black and, and white. Yeah, and now we got the black and gray. That's what's happened to you from the things you've done. Do you know you took a referee that had cancer, Randy, and fired him and his whole family, and now you're trying to say, oh, I'm so sorry for that. I just made a mistake. I apologize to everybody. I don't buy it.
one of the most shocking moments during the Monday Night Wars was when we saw Ravishing Rick Rude show up on both Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw at the same time. He showed up during a live edition of Nitro while two weeks prior he was on a tape version of Monday Night Raw which was set to air the same exact time as his re-debut to WCW on Nitro as he joined the NWO. And the Ravishing One had something very, very special to say as he created history that very night. something that you'd like to share with the whole world. Oh, what a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. You know, when we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. What's wrong in the world of professional wrestling is Shawn Michaels claiming to be world champion when he never beat Bret Hart. What's wrong with the world of professional wrestling is for Vince McMahon to instruct a referee to ring the bell in order to rob Bret Hart of his title. But on the other hand, what's right in the world of professional wrestling is for Bret Hart to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is NWO's course to destruct WCW. What's right with the world of professional wrestling is for the NWO to beat the living out of the man called Sting. Now the only thing wrong with that entire situation is that I didn't have the chance to participate. Sting! Second verse is going to be same as the first, a little bit rowdier and a whole lot worse because this time, Sting, I will partake. Give it up for Ravishing Rick Rude! One of the most shocking moments in WWF history was when they actually turned good old JR heel. 
when he had the fake diesel and fake razor. He felt underappreciated, undervalued, and the heel Jim Ross came out. I wasn't a big fan of the character, but Jim Ross used his feelings about the company and was able to to convert it, mold it, and transition it to a work shoot that was done so successfully, even though I wasn't a big fan of the persona, he definitely made you watch, and he definitely made an impact for that storyline. There's something I've been waiting to say for a long, long time. And when I'm through telling you, many of you are going to question my loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. So let's clear that up right now. What are you talking about? I have no idea. I have no loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. I've only got loyalty to good old JR. Let me tell you why. In 1993, I left a great job in Atlanta, Georgia. And I left the Atlanta Falcons of the National Football League to go to the recognized leader of sports entertainment, the WWF. And my, I came here to be the primary play-by-play man in the WWF. I don't think anybody here is gonna disagree that I'm the best play-by-play man in the whole damn business. What's he doing? I, I really don't know. This so is I show up for work the first day at WrestleMania 9 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and they give me a sheet to wear. They said, oh, it's going to be a toga. You'll look good in a toga, JR. I lead the National Football League for a toga. It's crap. And then on Super Bowl Sunday in 1994, I woke up with an affliction called Bell's Palsy, and my entire left side of my face looked like I had a stroke. You think I like that? You think I like that my left eye doesn't open all the way because I got sick? Let me tell you how warm-hearted Mr. McMahon is. Mr. McMahon called me into his office on February the 11th, 1994, and he fired my ass. From one announcer to another, from an all-time great to a hardcore play-by-play analyst, Jim Ross to Joey Styles. Joey Styles was... The voice of ECW, he came over to the WWF during the regeneration of ECW, and then he came on board to become the play-by-play man on Monday Night Raw. And this promo done by Styles was the precursor to the rebirth of ECW under the WWE brand. So this shoot promo by Joey Styles lit the fire for this storyline which eventually fizzled out as ECW was canceled, ultimately down the line a couple of years later. But this was the beginning of the rebirth of ECW in the WWE. You want to apologize like nothing happened. Like you didn't knock me on my ass in front of millions of people worldwide. And I'm going to come down there and work with you. I'm not coming back. And now... Thanks to the magic of live television, I'm going to show the whole world why for seven years in ECW, I was the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary. Six months ago, WWE called me. 
I didn't call this company because I was looking for a job. I didn't need a job. WWE called me because they had humiliated and fired again Jim Ross. So I get JR's spot. And from week one, week after week, I've got an ongoing lecture about the differences in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. I'm not allowed to say pro wrestling. I'm not allowed to say wrestler. I have to say sports entertainment and refer to the wrestlers as superstars. I'm told to deliberately ignore the moves and the holds during the matches so I can tell stories. Well, ignoring the moves and the holds is damn insulting to the athletes, the wrestlers, not the entertainers who leave their families 300 days a year to ply their craft in that rig. So here's the best part. Because I'm not a sports entertainment storyteller, I get pulled from WrestleMania. And the reason I'm given is, is because I don't sound like Jim Ross, who was the guy they fired in the first place. That makes sense, right? So I swallow the bitter pill. I'm a company guy. I get bumped from WrestleMania. Then I get bumped from Backlash. I'm not good enough to call Backlash. In ECW, I called live pay-per-views on my own. Solo. No color commentators dragging me down. Wasn't done before me. Hasn't been done since. But I'm not good enough to call backlash because I'm not a sports entertainment storyteller. Well, you know what? I am sick of sports entertainment. I am sick of male cheerleaders. I am sick of boogers and bathroom humor and semen. And I am sick of our chairman who likes to talk about his own semen he mocks God, he mocks God, and makes out with the divas, all to feed his own insatiable ego. I am sick of sports entertainment. And most of all, I'm sick of you fans who actually buy into that crap, this sports entertainment circuit. I never needed this job, and I don't want this job anymore. I quit! You know... We brought Joey Styles up from the gutter, and it looks like he just got homesick. Maybe Joey Styles will feel more at home in a bingo hall kissing Paul Heyman's ass. The franchise, Shane Douglas, was always a man that shot straight from the hip, and he did so in his ECW days, and it transitioned when he was in WCW as well. The franchise made his mark, and you definitely said, 
holy shoot, when he got on the mic. Bro! 
egotistical piece of goddamn shit. Another WCW superstar that excelled on the microphone in a shoot promo style was Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. He reinvented his promo skills by administering and having the art of the shoot implemented in all of his promos, and it just made him so much more of a real character. Now last week, I was watching TV, and I watched a 53-year-old man come out here who has more loose skin than a Sharpay puppy come out here and say he's still the man. I seen Ric Flair, number two, the nature boy, come out here who's been the butt-in of all the jokes because he's supposed to be the limousine riding jet-flying son of a gun. But I'm saying one time, you should have took a cab and used that money to fix your crooked yellow teeth. So I asked myself, if WCW was going to hire the nature boy number two, why would they hire the nature boy, the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers? Now, I don't know that Buddy Rogers is dead, God rest his soul, but Ric Flair, your career is dead. And I know as he lays six feet under, he's still styling and profiling, because when you used your little brain and stole his name, there's one thing you couldn't steal, and that was his class. So when you walked down that aisle last week, There's 
never been a bigger ass-kissing bastard in this business, but also in life, you're the biggest ass-kissing back, back, seven, but bastard. And you belong where you're at in WCW, because WCW sucks. And so do you, me. I'm just going to stay right here in the NWO for life. Another real moment on WCW television was when Dustin Runnels, Dustin Rhodes, Goldust, many names to this man, the son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. He came back to WCW and they wanted to implement a Goldust style gimmick to him, but adding a dark element. Thus, the new character named Seven was created and it didn't last one day in the company during his debut Returned to the company, Goldust, a.k.a. Dustin Runnels, a.k.a. the now Seven, came out, and he had some words to say regarding his new gimmick. Put everybody in here to take a good, long look at this crap I'm in. What? I left the World Wrestling Federation for gimmicks like this. All of you don't know I was Goldust, and Goldust sucked. Goldust nearly ruined my wrestling career. You see, I wanted to come back to WCW because this is home for me, and I wanted to be just me, just me, because that's what I can do, just be me. But the powers that be came to me and they said, Dustin, you know, Dustin sucks. Dustin is boring. So I here now I stand before you and oh my new name is Seven by the way so they've dressed me up like Uncle Fester to play trick or treat all year long. How is it brief? What you can do is take gold dust and shut. You can take this silly-looking thing, Seven, and shove it up your ass. And you both can kiss. Now, last week, my father called me Dusty Rose. It seems that he's no longer with this company. After 25 years of building everything that you see right here and right now, they kicked him to the curb like he was a piece of <laughs> Well, powers that be, that doesn't cut the mustard, and now you got to deal with me because you disrespected my father, you disrespected the Rhodes name, and you disrespected me for the last damn time. You understand? So from this moment on tonight and to the end of your lives, I am going to make your life a miserable hell. I'm going to make WCW a miserable hell and TNT too. So boys, I know you're back there staring. Your little fat faces in the monitor looking at me. You know one thing. Tonight. 
tonight and forevermore, you will never, ever forget the name of Dustin Rhodes. As frustrations grew throughout WCW, it created more shoot moments for the company and its performers. And one of them was Brett the Hitman Hart, who was able to design shoot promos in the World Wrestling Federation when he formed the New Hart Foundation and had more of his anti-USA gimmick. And once his active frustrations with Vince McMahon shown on television, it gave a new dimension to his character. So now... Bret Hart in WCW a couple years later had very similar frustrations with his character and he was very comfortable once again to open his mouth and shoot off. Hello! It's nice to be in a place where you get a little respect. It's nice to go to a place where you see some kids in the audience, too. Now you sit back there all night, and you sit back, and you listen to everybody. And I know everybody's all up in a big... You know, everyone's all upset about the ratings and stuff. So I'm not going to worry about very much tonight. I think I'm going to start off with a little bit of... Oh, Canada. Our home and native land, true patriot love, in all thy sense command. With glowing hearts we see thee rise in the true north strong and free. From far and wide, oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I've been in the WCW for over a year. Five-time world champion. The best there is, the best there was, and the best that there ever will be. I love him. And I can't get a match with anybody. You got Ric Flair, the world champion, back there hiding under a table somewhere. You got Hollywood Hogan. I guess he's afraid of me. You know, I'm going to get right to the point. I came to the WCW... To earn a reputation, not to lose it. And I got one point I want to make. I want to prove that I can actually execute any wrestler I want, any time I want. They're behind him. So let's cut to the chase. The franchise player. William Goldberg. The man. You big chicken. 
He thinks because he's built like a tank that he can run over top of me. Well, I'm not going anywhere, Bill Goldberg. So you come out of that dressing room, biting your fingernails, trembling with fear, because he can take me on right here tonight in Toronto, Canada. Let's do this thing. What do you say? Let's get it on. The man is putting up all this money to take on Steve Austin. Well, let me tell you something. I beat Steve Austin every time I ever fought him. He likes to fancy himself some kind of big, fancy, tough football player. Well, I got news for you, Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Put away your silly helmet and come out here and fight me. I'd like to see that. Nature Boy Ric Flair gave us a multitude of moments inside and outside of the ring to remember, a lot of which come from his mic skills and his promo style. But he also gave us such great memories during his shoot promos as well. Back in the late 90s with WCW, there was a big issue with a lawsuit involving Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, and WCW. When he finally came back to the company, when they reunited the Four Horsemen, Ric Flair, finally back on TNT television, extremely emotional, finally got to explain how he feels or how he felt about then-president Eric Bischoff, and he finally got all that weight off of his chest. Only the Nature Boy can have a promo of this style, and only the Nature Boy can deliver it in this fashion. And it was so memorable. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm almost embarrassed by the response. But when I see this, I know that the 25 years that I spent trying to make you happy every night of your life was worth every damn minute of it. I had no idea. Bishop! This might be my only shot. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna make it my best. This is real. This is not bought and paid for. It's a real life situation. When you look at me, tears in my eyes, and said, God, that's good, Didi. It was real. Art Anderson passed the torch. It was real, damn it. My best friend is one of the greatest performers to ever live. And you, you squashed in one night. Then you get on the phone and tell me, disband the horsemen, they're dead. Disband the horsemen. Me, you know what? I looked at myself in the mirror the next day and I saw a pathetic figure that gave up and quit. And for that, 
Flair had been Flair had been away from the ring for several months due to a lawsuit with WCW. It was never abuse upon you. Second. Or it was uh, come back and, and try and get along and try and establish a new relationship. You're history. You're a liar. You're a cheat. You're a scam. You are a no good. You're history. Another monumental Ric Flair shoot moment was the last WCW Nitro when he got to express his feelings on the company and the show that changed Monday nights. You know, Scott, for so long we talked about new ownership of WCW. We never thought this would happen. Neither did he. Vince McMahon 
Do you know that in 1981, when you were trying to become an announcer, your dad was on the board of directors and voted for me to be the world champion? Steve Austin went from stunning to stone cold. There, he was able to actually shoot from the hip and express his feelings and his hatred for what happened to him previously in the wrestling business, specifically at WCW. And he was able to harness all that energy and all that frustration into one tremendous shoot promo that to this day, you could say was the start 
of Steve Austin being put on the map and becoming Stone Cold. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when Eric Bischoff told his secretary to tell her secretary to leave a message on my answering machine for me to call Eric Bischoff, and then I called Eric Bischoff, and he proceeded to fire me over the phone. I thought a big cloud was lifted off the career of Steve Austin. Because gone were the days where I'd go up to someone and say, Hey, what about me and Sting? We got this big thing going. How about the cage? And someone says, No, baby, that's for somebody else. We're just going to keep you right where you at right now. Well, then I said, Well, how about me and Savage, man? I got this great idea, man. He comes in, he's got the Slim Jim deal. Well, hell, I got. No, Steve, that's for somebody else, baby. <laughs> then you go, I've got this great idea I can do with Hulk Hogan. I'm going to be the Steve Maniac, and we're going to take this thing all the way because Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania was the biggest thing to ever come down to wrestling's pike. And they say, No, it's not for you, brother. You can't do that. We're going to keep you right where you are. I said, how about me and Brian get back together? The Hollywood Blondes, it was the best tag team to come along in 10 years. And they say, no, Steve, we need you in a singles role, man. We need you to do this. We're going to put the U.S. title on you, and then we're going to take you here. And then you're the number one contender, so then you got this world title shot. Well, all that never happened. So there I am, floundering along. There's nothing going my way because the politics in WCW kept the biggest potential superstar in wrestling on the damn ground. What are you supposed to do? On one hand, they're paying you a bunch of money. They're paying me a bunch of money. Well, on this hand, they're telling me, hey, Go out there and give Bagwell a hell of a match. Go out there with an 18-year-old German kid. Give him seven good minutes. Let the people see what he can do. They say you are what you eat. In WCW, they didn't feed me nothing but garbage. So I let myself become garbage. I became complacent with everything that they said. As long as Big Ted kept sending in the checks, Maybe I wasn't happy with what was going on, but I became complacent. Then they send me to Japan, the big injury. Bischoff delivers a shot heard around the damn world. Steve Austin's out of the high-paying job. All of a sudden, the phone starts ringing off the hook. It's ECW. It's the WWF. It's all Japan. It's New Japan. And all Steve Austin's got to do is make a decision. Todd Gordon, whether he mortgaged his house one time, two times, maybe three times, came up with the right figure for Steve Austin to make a decision. I stroll into the ECW arena. It's the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen. I broke in in a building called the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, home of the world-famous Von Erichs. Anybody that was anybody stepped foot in a Dallas Sportatorium. 
For the last two years, all you've heard about anywhere in wrestling is the famous ECW arena. Debut night, I roll in. You've got the Sandman. You've got the Raven. You got the Pit Bulls. You got Stevie Richards. You got the public enemy. You got the gangsters. You got Mikey Wickrep, whatever the hell his name is. You got a bunch of damn misfits running around thinking that they can actually wrestle. All I've seen in ECW is a bunch of violent crap. And that's exactly what I'll call it because that's what it is. Steve Austin is here to wrestle. It's what I do best. It's what I do better than anybody in the world. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, they've got the big send-off. Tears were in everybody's eyes. It was a big deal. All Steve Austin got was a good swift kick in the ass as Bischoff hung up the phone and left me high and dry. There's no Hogan's here. There's no flares here. There's not a Dusty Rhodes. And there damn sure isn't an Eric Bischoff here. There's no one that can hold back Steve Austin now. Stunning, tossed it out the window. Never was meant to be. ECW is going to find out firsthand what Steve Austin can do. And I'm going to show everybody here exactly what a true superstar is supposed to do. What a true superstar is supposed to be. Because no one here can hold me back. Not Todd Gordon. Not Hulk Hogan. Not Eric Bischoff. Nobody. I'm going to be the superstar that I always knew that I could be. Because there's no one, no one in ECW that can stop me. Two words. Paul Heyman. This man has the ability to shake not only the foundation of an organization, but the entire industry. His mind for the business will forever be known as one of the greatest. Not only does Paul Heyman have a mind for the business, but he is such a a great on-air talent. He can get over any match, any any type of feud, rivalry, any type of promotion you're going for, Paul Heyman can sell it. And when he was in the WWE and had the ability to be in front of Vince McMahon with a live microphone, he took advantage. And this will go down as one of the greatest shoot promos of all time. And I'm proud to end this shoot segment or shoot series and edition off with Paul Heyman shooting on the kingpin, the man that holds the empire. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. A few moments at my leisure, I'm going to call Vince McMahon out to 
his ring in front of his public on a television show that's owned by his grand company. At least that is until this Sunday at Survivor Series. I echo that. Must be a lot of exes. I know how much you people appreciate what Shane and Stephanie and I have done. How Shane and Stephanie and I have stood up to the tyranny of Vince McMahon. And the way it is, ladies and gentlemen, is quite simple. The WWF will die this Sunday. But don't blame me for that. It's not my fault. I'm not the one that ruined everything that was accomplished by Stone Cold Steve Austin. You see, at Survivor Series, it means so much more than just the personalities that are involved. It's about ending what Vince McMahon has tried to accomplish. I sat there at that desk on Monday, and I listened to Mick Foley. And I agreed with everything that Mick Foley had to say. That the WWF truly does suck. Don't boo me. Have you watched the television show lately? Vince McMahon has lost his mind. The man doesn't have it anymore. He's a has-been. His ideas are antiquated. His concepts are draconian and Mick Foley was right because the WWF is imploding from within like every great empire the WWF is imploding from within Vince's loyal employees like Stone Cold left him like Mick Foley want nothing to do with him Vince's own children want him to burn in hell and I don't blame him Vince McMahon will see the WWF die this Sunday at Survivor Series. And he has no hope to save his precious company. Vince McMahon has the same chances of saving the WWF as he did of realizing his dream of starting a football league. Whoa.
want you to know that I was down on my knees because I know that you're used to men kissing your ass, Vinny. Every time you walk in the back there, there's Patterson and Prisco. Oh, what a great idea you had, Vince. You like men kissing your ass, don't you, Vince? Huh? Because that's what you're all about. A billionaire. The billionaire Vince McMahon. The creator of sports entertainment. I've waited so long to see you face to face like this. And I've waited so long to tell you to your face that I hate your stinking guts. But it's not just me. It's your children that hate your stinking guts, Vince. And at Survivor Series, your children are going to do to you what I have waited my whole life to see somebody do to you, Vince. You are, so help me God, the most disgusting, vile son of a I've ever seen in my life. You took Hulk Hogan's blood and you built Titan Towers. You stole Bret Hart's dream and with that money bought yourself an airplane with WWF all over it. You did that and you know it, you son of a you stole Shawn Michaels' smile, took your company public, and made yourself a billionaire. But not a self-made billionaire like you like to tell everybody you are. Oh, no. See, you're a billionaire on other people's hard work. Your father, your father, Vince McMahon, your father went around the country and shook the hand of every, don't, you know I'm telling the truth, don't you? You know in your heart I'm telling you the truth that your father shook the hand of every promoter in this country and swore to them that he'd never compete against them, that his son would never compete against them. And when your father died, you competed. And with your ruthless, merciless, take no prisoners attitude, you drove everybody out of business. Didn't you, Vince? You ran all the competition to the ground and you stole all their ideas and you made yourself a billionaire out of it. And you know whose ideas you stole the most, Vince? You stole mine. See, I don't give a damn about Don Owen and Sam Muchnick and Jim Crockett. I, I care about what you did to me and my family. How you stole my dreams. How you stole my legacy. How you stole everything that ECW represented. Because while Doink the Clown had a, a green hair and a rubber nose, Stone Cold Steve Austin was drinking his first beer in ECW, damn you. While Bobby Heenan and Gene Oakland were dancing around singing Cootie Fruity, ECW was producing the edgy TV that you named Attitude. Oh, we got Attitude. You got nothing, man. What you got is my ideas, and you stole my life, my money, my legacy! Screw you! Screw you! 
destroyed your family. I'll tell you something. Your own children hate your guts. And on Sunday, your children are going to get even with you for everything that you stole from me, for everything that you stole from them. You flaunt your affairs in front of your wife. You flaunt your affairs in Playboy for your children to read. You... Look at Taz! Look at Taz! This man was a killer! He was a machine! He was a wrestler! A great wrestler, a real man! But wrestling's a dirty word to you, isn't it, Vince? Your father built the wrestling company! And you, you, you had to have sports entertainment! We had to have sports entertainment! Ha ha ha! He was a wrestler. He was a great wrestler. He was a man. And now he's a fat, little, obnoxious color commentator. And not even a good one. He is a sports entertainer. He is not a wrestler. Because you made wrestling a dirty word. You made wrestling a dirty word, Vince. What kind of man are you? What kind of a man takes, takes wrestling you and makes it sports entertainment? A survival series. You're going down. You're going down, Vince. I promise you, you're going down, and I'm going to watch it. What a great promo by Heyman. Truly one of the greatest of all time. Work, shoot, or shoot alone. That man could talk. Now let's head to our mailbag portion of the show. Let's open up that old school mailbag, btbwrestling at gmail.com. Send your questions, comments, and hate mail to btbwrestling at gmail.com. This week, Frank from Indianapolis writes to us, Hey, Big Beck, great show, big fan. I really enjoyed your themes the past few weeks. It's been really entertaining and exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing more themes and exclusive audio coming from you and beyond the bell on the SNS network. Go get them. It's go time. Quick question for you. What is your favorite shoot promo outside the CM Punk one within the past year or two? There have been a few that have come by, but which one is your favorite recently? Thank you so much, Frank, for that email. Uh, looking back at the past, that's a year, uh, shoot promo-wise, I believe, from TNA Impact last year, the shoot promos between Mick Foley and Ric Flair building up to their matchup live on Impact was truly one of the greatest shoot promos seen in a while because it got you feeling that emotion, feeling that that hatred between the two, and it really wanted you to see the matchup uh, between the two of them and see them go head-to-head, even though both of them combined are over 100 years old. It really made you want to see that match, and I truly feel that that shoot promo style between the two helped create that buzz around this matchup between two older uh, superstars that are way way past their prime. So I'd go with the Flair uh, the Flair Foley confrontation from Impact. So let's play that for you fans right now. Thank you, Frank, for that awesome question, and we look forward to hearing more from you on btbwrestling at gmail.com. Did you say you want to talk to Ric Flair, the wrestling god? This time Are Rick- we on the air right now? Are we on the air? We're on the air right now. Are we on the air? And I got something to say. I don't want to talk to Ric Flair, the wrestling. God, 
I want to talk to Ric Flair face to face. Ric Flair, the man. Can you bring him out just momentarily so we can have a conversation? Yeah, watch. Here he is, brother. Now you got it. Just like Superman. Just like Superman. I can turn that costume around. What do you want to talk about, asshole? I know the rest of the world is focused on the numbers 10, 10, 10, and rightfully so. It's bound for glory. It's the biggest show of the year. It's going to be a spectacular pay-per-view offering. But for me and you, Rick, I think we need to think about a few other numbers, namely 10, 7, 10. Because I told Dixie Carter, I said, the time has come for Mick Foley and Ric Flair to finally... After 20 years, 21 years, to be specific, to end their differences. And I said, I know Bound for Glory is big, but this is something that needs to be seen live on national television. So what I'm saying to you, Rick, what I'm, what I'm asking Rick Flair, the man, the man, is I'm asking you, Rick, to meet me in this ring one week from tonight, when we go live, when we go live, Ric Flair, Mick Foley, one-on-one -on -one for the very last time. to get out of it, Rick, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah, maybe I'm an author and a father. That's a fair assumption, because I haven't shown myself to be much of a wrestler out here for a long time. And there was a book review and a good one from Publishers Weekly, the biggest of them all. It says the rating, writing is great, but they wondered, they wondered if deep down Mick Foley really loved wrestling as, loving, as much as he loved his family, as much as he loved giving, as much as he was involved in his outside interests. And the truth is, Rick, until a few weeks ago, that answer would have been no. A few weeks ago, Rick, maybe, maybe I made a mistake by making a private conversation that you and I had the day after Christmas. Maybe I made that public. But when you called me out, when you put me on the spot afterwards, Rick, I felt that glow. I felt that feeling, that burning, like I hadn't felt in years. And I realized that as much as I hated to admit it, I needed you to bring the best out in me. That's what I do for a living, brother. I make everybody better around me. You get it? What 
feet off of you. Huh? Feet off of you. Uh, two. I think I'm afraid of you. No. Huh? Two. Show me what you got. Two. Come on. Two. Okay, two. brother. Two. Two. Two can play that game, Rick. Two can play that That's game. That's right. Because I'm freaking tonight, you ain't any better than me. You're out of shape. You're a family man. I love that for you. My kids are growing. You. Take your best shot. Take uh, it not drop you where you stand. You'll never drop it. Next Thursday night, I'm gonna have my whole family. Just like last time with Orlando. Sold out at my retirement. I'll have my whole family there. Not for my retirement. To see the end of you. The end of EV2, you are EV2, you're their spokesperson, you're their guy. And one of your best friends, Tommy Dreamer, who I respect as a man, told me on this show that I am hardcore, you stupid bastard. Wait, wait, wait. How, how, how many years you've been involved in this, Rick? How many years? You've been, Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine, and you're calling me a stupid bastard. It, it took you almost forty years to figure out that you're hardcore. No, you are what this no. business is all about. I know. You are what hardcore is all about, Rick. I know. And since you returned to TNA, you've been standing on your own. You've been walking the walk, talking the talk, like you haven't had a chance to in years. Is that right? Is that not right? That might be a figment of your imagination. Whatever I open my mouth, the whole world listens. No, no, no there's... You've been home selling no, books. There's been something different about you, Rick. You're renewed. You're renewed. You're a nature boy like I haven't seen oh, yeah. in many, many years. So here, this is what I'm going to ask of you. I, I love that about you. you. I love the fact you got it back. Your balls are big again. <laughs> Next Thursday night, I'm going to beat you with an itch oh, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been talking about standing on my own, and you've been doing it really well since you walked back here, and I feel like I've been coasting. So I'm just asking you, Rick, man to man, you've been in it 39. I've known you 21 of it, and I don't like you, but I don't hate you. If you were to put every emotion I have, resentment, jealousy, admiration, and you stirred it around in some toxic brew, I have to admit, Rick, I don't feel good unless I'm drinking of that brew. I haven't walked on my own in a long time, and I've been having trouble standing up. So this is what I ask you. Next Thursday night, live, live here in the Impact yeah. Zone. Yeah. You do me the favor of facing me, yes. not, just, not, yes. just, not just in any match. I want you, you and me, at long last for the last time, a last man standing match. You mean, you mean my infamous saying, two men walk down the aisle, one walks out? You got it! And I'll tell you something else. If I lose to you, you can turn around, put on your pants, and I'll kiss your ass on national TV. And Ric Flair don't kiss nobody's ass. On Thursday night, that's going to change. It's Thursday night. We're going to change it around. Let's, Let's do, do it. it Thursday night. Let's do it. I don't know. No, I'm not going to. 
This is. One week from tonight, Rick, I'll see you in the ring. Bye-bye! Bye-bye! Beyond the Bell fans, we have a special treat for you as we finish up this Holy Shoot edition of BTB. And that is, since this is a shoot-themed show, why not finish it off with Vince Russo, the man that loves to add shoots to all of his storylines. So this comes from a shoot interview that he did a couple of years ago, and this clip is the name association portion. So we're going to flip or shoot right to Vince Russo and his name association here on Beyond the Bell, courtesy of a shoot interview from a, a few years prior. Uh, Kevin Ash. Um, Kevin, I, I got to be honest with you, Kevin is a highly, highly intelligent um, individual I tell you, man, when, when Kevin worked under me at WCW, everything you read about him, everything you hear about him, Kevin Nash busted his ass every single day. And that's what makes me laugh again about the internet, because those same people that bury Kevin, are they there? <laughs> do they see? I can tell you everything I asked Kevin to do, Kevin did. And every time Kevin was out there that I saw, Kevin busted his ass and I have a great respect for Kevin. And again, he's he's one of the more intelligent ones. Scott Hall. Uh, I, I've not walked in Scott Hall's shoes. Um, but man, I could tell you this. When Scott Hall is on, Scott Hall is on. Um, obviously, he's got some personal problems. And I, I pray to God that you know he can he can take care of those. But um, when Scott Hall is on, man, there isn't anybody better. Shane McMahon? I, I think Shane is phenomenal. And, and I'll tell you what. Everybody wants to blame the writers of the WWE and, and, and why the product is. You know what? I don't blame them fully because I think it's 50% writing. I think it's 50% of the boys. And if the boys worked like Shane McMahon, okay, the wrestling wouldn't be as atrocious as it is today, because what I see are guys putting on the same matches and going through the same motions that I saw them go through 10 years ago. The guys are not concentrating on, on making the fight look real. Shane McMahon is the best. He, Shane McMahon will put his body on the line. Shane McMahon will do whatever he has to do to make me believe for that five seconds holy shit, this guy's going to break his neck. And, and, and if more of the people had that kind of an attitude, I, I promise you more people would be watching right now. Stephanie, man. Uh, my, my personal opinion is Stephanie is highly, highly intelligent. Um, she has a great business sense. Um, but when I worked with Stephanie, I personally never saw that creative end. I mean, when I worked with Stephanie, she was involved in a business and we worked on some business things, but creatively, um, I, I never had the opportunity to work with her. I'll I, I tell you what, though. I, I think Vince put her in a very tough spot because that spot, bro, it's a, it's a no-win situation. Whoever is in that spot is going to take the fall. Bill Bush? 
Oh, man, it's a great guy, but just in way over his head. Sean Waltman. See Razor Ramon. I mean, same thing, man. When he's on top of his game, phenomenal. Sting? Um, man, I, Sting's a gentleman. Uh, Sting's, Sting's probably, and, and, you know, this is coming from me now. I don't know how everybody else feels, but... I would probably believe Sting more in a face-to-face -face conversation than anybody else in the wrestling business. He, um, to me, he was always very honest and very sincere, positive or negative. And, and because of that, I really, really respected him. Raven? Uh, Raven is, is a genius. And, and I'm going to deny saying that because he's going to hold it against me. Um, very, very misunderstood. And what people don't understand about Raven is he has such a passion for this business and that's what comes out when you sit down with him and you have a conversation with him. Right. Because for a lot of other people, it's business. For Raven, it's the love of the business. And, and that passion, I, I think, it is misunderstood and I think, you know, that's what... You know, that's what doesn't give him his just due. People just don't understand that side of him. Hulk Hogan. I, I've said it a million times, I wouldn't be in the wrestling business if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, and I don't think any of us would be sitting here um, if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. And me, personally, I, I've never had a problem with Hulk Hogan. Triple H. Um, Triple H was one of... Greatest guys I worked with when I was over at the WWE, and I mean, he, we were tight. Um, I would consider him a friend at, at, at the time. All the things I hear about Triple H now, and I, I gotta be honest with you, it, it's hard for me to believe because the things I hear, that's not the Triple H I know. I mean, I, I, I hear people blatantly tell me he's married, he married Stephanie to get in the McMahon family and for the money. No, I, I believe Triple H is in love with Stephanie. I mean, the, the Triple H I knew, he, he was a gentleman. Last but not least, uh, Ric Flair. Um, that was probably the one guy that I worked with where I could, I, I would really say it was an honor. I mean, it, out of everybody I've ever worked with, it to me, it was just an honor working with Ric Flair. And I mean, it was, it was a situation that I'll never forget. And um, I mean, I just hope, um, you know, it was positive for him. Well, nostalgia wrestling fans, that concludes this holy shoot edition of Beyond the Bell. I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us here on the SNS Radio Network, also being streamed on podbean.com. You can check all the archive shows on snsradionetwork.com, the brand new SNS Radio Network site, as well as podbean.com. The site is beyondthebell.podbean.com. Send questions, comments, and hate mail to btbwrestling at gmail.com. Search my official website, www.ringannouncing.com. We can also hear audio clips from my other podcast, The Jetpack, as well as here's, hear and see some video clips of me ring announcing some spectacular, spectacular shows and famous stars throughout the entire wrestling industry. Also, there's some boxing and mixed martial arts clips as well. So that's www.ringannouncing.com. And tune in as well. 
within the next few days as well, we should have an extra show for you BTB fans as it's Beyond the Bell, the Bret Hart heel turn, the heel turn of the hitman. One of the segments that was left out of our heel turn series uh, was the heel turn of Bret the Hitman Hart. So that'll be a little Beyond the Bell extra for you fans, so stay tuned within the next few days. That should be uploaded with uh, some interesting and exclusive audio as well from the Hitman. And we go back to one of his best promos of all time that was truly the the antithesis of a heel turn. And it truly demonstrated the impact Bret Hart had on the wrestling industry when he turned heel. And it was so entertaining. So that's the Hitman heel turn coming up in the next few days. And also next week on Beyond the Bell, we have a spectacular program lined up for you fans out there. Volume 3 of Epic Encounters, as the headline will be Andy Kaufman versus Jerry the King Lawler, the feud that changed it all in Memphis. So we'll take a look back at that matchup as well as an additional matchups we'll take a look at two rivalries from epic encounters volume three kaufman versus lawler also look out for the heel hitman the heel turn up bret hart and over the next few weeks you'll be seeing themes such as the worst gimmicks of all time epic encounters volume four and another one i'm really looking forward to and i want your feedback on and that's famous factions the greatest pro wrestling stables so that's all coming up over the next few weeks here on beyond the bell but stay tuned for next week as will be epic encounters volume three kaufman versus lawler that should be a fun one to go over so wrestling fans i'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us and going beyond the bell this week and joining us here on the sns radio network We'll wrap up this week's Beyond the Bell with our entrance theme of the week and what a perfect fit this theme is. Perfect Strangers for the franchise Shane Douglas. He definitely fit the mold of a shoot promo artist. Good night, everybody, and we'll see you next week as we'll go Beyond the Bell. <laughs>